So a lot of it's been about how can the firms use these guidelines to improve their game so that they're giving us better data that they, in fact, can use as much as we can use together as well. Welcome to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitary Legal. Digitary is a data analytics and cost management platform and service, bringing data-driven pricing and cost prediction to law. My name is Aurelia Spivey, and I will be your host as we speak to leaders who are making an impact in legal pricing, discuss market trends, and find out from them why pricing matters. Welcome to the Pricing Matters podcast. Our guest today is Greg Capel. Greg is the Senior Director Legal Operations Programs at Kaiser Permanente. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Good afternoon, Aurelia. Hi, Greg. Thanks uh, for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, I'd love to start with, I always start with a question for our audience to get to know you a little better. So can you tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about your journey into legal operations? Well, they say I uh, came popping out of my mama's belly practicing legal ops. If that's not the case, it surely was before they called it e-discovery or anything else that, uh, I was running operations for lawyers and cases, risk management and turnaround uh, led to uh, technology process improvement and cost reduction. What lawyer doesn't like reducing costs, especially partners and firms and eventually uh, teaching them how to price their matters and match their deals with inside counsel that led to the coinage of a phrase after 2009 called legal ops from book club to clock. That all uh, led me to Kaiser Permanente and uh, the last six years of really kind of proving that basic um, business operational practices are the first things to be done in legal operations, accruals, e-billing, engagement contracts, you know, things that lawyers would uh, advise their clients to do. And, and, uh, and now on to our third round of, uh, of our guidelines for outside counsel. Thanks for sharing that, Greg. So you were talking, um, you know, about your guidelines 3.0. And that's one of the, the reasons that I wanted to get you on the show today is, you know, so you recently refreshed the guidelines. And, you know, what were mm-hmm. some of the driving principles behind this project? Well, you know, a simple one was that we'd installed a whole new matter management and e-billing system. And so the language in our previous guidelines Guidelines 2.0 is just outdated. So there was a, an obvious need for at least the editorial update. The significance of a third version of maturity is really more than that. It's about getting beyond our guidelines 1.0, which was publishing just aspirations and getting something out there. Or guidelines 2.0 was, well, let's actually try to make that meaningful and and make sure we understand how to do it from a process standpoint. Uh, Guidelines 3.0 is about that maturity of wanting to make uh, these guidelines easy and adoptable to firms, not onerous and kind of our way. And part of the reason to make it easy and adoptable is because it's about really tightening up compliance and enforcement. We want these guidelines to not be aspirational, but actually operational. 
And then uh, as, as fate and timing have it, because we started this initiative early in the year, knowing it would be the right thing to do, uh, we got hit with COVID and the recessionary impact and the need to really tighten up our spend. So uh, timing was just perfect that we're able to come onto these guidelines 3.0 right when we, we really have a, a pretty high hurdle to, to get over as far as reducing our legal spend this year. You know, talking about COVID and, um, you know, the current market, how have you gone about, you know, communicating the guidelines and, you know, the changes to the guidelines, both internally and externally? You know, COVID has really kind of helped us in a lot of ways because it's made virtualization so common um, that it's uh, it's not about being in person at all. And previously, we when we rolled out Guidelines 2.0, we did a lot of uh, release meetings using web presentations and audio conferencing. Uh, but this time around, uh, I think we're all used to a virtual environment. And so we've been hosting internal uh, briefing and uh, kind of round the table sessions with our attorneys and our administrative assistants. Uh, we've been recording those sessions and putting them onto our intranet so that people can come back and reflect on them or as we uh, get new uh, members of our department, we can reuse that material. Uh, and then we've been reaching out in much the same way with our outside council and doing uh, video and slide sharing training with members of our team and our outside consultants uh, going through what we think is a, a pretty uh, entertaining performance uh, around how we're increase, uh, up-leveling the game uh, of how we work together with our outside counsel using data. And so part of that is being able to use, you know, virtual tools like uh, web and screen share presentations. And, uh, and in addition to that is breaking out and meeting with some of our top firms one-on-one -on -one to really customize, making sure that they're uh, familiar with the guidelines and adhering to it as well. And I think we'll be talking a little bit about what the ongoing maintenance will be, how we're going to involve our administrative assistant team ongoing with our attorneys and outside counsel and, and where and how we might uh, host some uh, maybe programs in the future that call attention to specific topics or help to continue to keep it fresh as we uh, get close to the end of the year deadline. And, and I know, you know, one of the challenges that is often cited with outside counsel guidelines is ensuring that the you know, law firms have read the guidelines. So, that program at least seems to, you know, put put a, you know, you're putting out a lot to the firms to, um, you know, enable them to be able to interact with the guidelines. Um, Absolutely. In fact, one of the keys is that we're going modern and we've got a Kaiser portal now for legal operations. So there's a place where they can come get access to the guidelines. We've carved them up so it's not one big uh, Encyclopedia Britannica tome, but it's separate sections with easy to use reference guides uh, that can uh, be easy for an attorney to find just what they need to look at when they're doing work for a client, uh, even down to a ticketing system where people can ask for help. So, uh, you know, we're invested in their success as much as they're invested in ours. And these guidelines are meant to give us the rules of the game to be successful. You know, one of the other things that's always interesting in a project like this is to find out, you know, what key themes have surfaced in, you know, this iteration of the guidelines. Well, this iteration is really all about data. 
Um, it's about the fine tuning of the processes so that we're actually getting the feedback we need about how our work is being done and how we can choose to do it better going forward. So uh, as much as we, you know, realign some of the verbiage around our team connect and collaborati instead of e-council uh, or took a look at some of the things that we needed to uh, emphasize or highlight around our cybersecurity or around our travel policy per se, uh, we really let off by focusing on the time entry data, uh, establishing the, the reasons why block billing is bad for data and why we're going to increase our penalties on that if, if uh, firms turn in bills with it, um, identifying how they can uh, reduce vagueness in their time entry so that uh, ultimately we can really use the time descriptions to start to look at how work's being done and, and do a better job of pricing it, both for us and the firms going forward, uh, as well as project managing. And so we uh, put more emphasis on our project management policies, uh, gave more detail about what we expect as far as staffing and what it means, especially for project management on very large cases. Um, and uh, we've got specific with some of the things like our e-billing vendor and the fees that are expected to be paid by our firms uh, and our cybersecurity policies, which have become pretty comprehensive within um, Kaiser as far as all of our law firms really being assessed and reviewed to, to make sure that they're adhering to the things to keep our data safe. Um, so a lot of it's been about how can the firms use these guidelines to improve their game so that they're giving us better data that they, in fact, can use as much as we can use together as well. Another area that has really come to light during the current COVID crisis is diversity in the legal market. Can you tell us a little bit about how diversity has played a role in this guidelines update? Well, it's a wonderful example of what 3.0 is different about uh, compared to 2.0 or prior. Um, Mark Zummelman, our general counsel, has been really a, a, an early and a uh, profound leader in diversity, uh, establishing early on within our department a committee and initiatives around MCLE, uh, pipeline, establishing uh, diverse panels in all of our hiring. Uh, and actually, when I first got there six and a half years ago, was one of the first to really put uh, a diversity goal around supplier diversity into the actual AIP goals for employee bonuses. Um, and so at that time, <clears throat> we were very focused on bringing more of our business to small minority and women-owned firms, uh, in particular in our litigation area. And with the success we had there, we've We've grown that to uh, become 40% of all of our matters and about 25% of all of our spend uh, in both our medical malpractice and our non-med mal uh, go to uh, diverse firms. So the guidelines are a chance for us to take that to the next level and really start looking at diverse staffing and not just in diverse firms, but in majority firms as well. Uh, and to begin to align around the new ABA survey so that we don't make this work onerous and redundant for firms, but something they can leverage off of a standard so we can all pay attention to the data and actually taking action on it. So uh, these guidelines really kind of set the foundation for that. And uh, we'll be going forward with future version updates that are incremental, like 3.1 and 3.2. And in that, we're going to be... Uh, 
uh, outlining some work we do with a couple of our best in breed firms around how to share data like from the ABA survey more effectively. One thing I, I think would be helpful is if anyone who is in your position who is looking at a refresh or even, you know, I wouldn't say the, their first set of guidelines, uh, but maybe if they're a small uh, legal uh, operations team, you know, what sort of pointers would you give to someone, you know, embarking on a project like this? That's a great question because <laughs> having been through three of them now, plus prior uh, to joining Kaiser, working with clients on it, uh, I could kind of break it down to a simple journey. And, and it starts now with, thankfully, the abundance of information from Clock that there are templates and standards available out there you can just kind of grab, and at least you got something. Uh, I think when I got to Kaiser, we had been debating over a guidelines 1.0 for like two or three years, right? And uh, the key was just getting something out there, even if it was aspirational, at least it was a catalyst for conversation. Some areas would begin to get improved. So, you know, grabbing something and, and doing it quickly with the idea that you're going to improve on it is there's no shame in it. And there's uh, probably more benefit to getting something out there than it is to waiting too much longer. Uh, but the second step uh, is hire some good expertise. <clears throat> um, it's likely that your internal organization is both strapped for time and attention and probably also doesn't have the insight and expertise into how others are applying these guidelines. So uh, a small bit of investment into a group like Digitory can result in a lot of weight of results uh, by just helping you very quickly assess what in that standard template is really applicable to you or not. Uh, where are some of the new best practices in the industry, uh, something you want to consider or incorporate? And then given your unique culture, how are you going to go about uh, integrating this? And that's where your third step is. That's actually going to be your hardest one. How are you going to communicate it internally so that your internal attorneys and leadership are all in agreement and behind it and willing to support it when they engage outside counsel and when they're reviewing invoices or they're supporting management? If you don't have a strong base of support on that, uh, you're not going to really get, be able to put a lot into effect. So the key there is as you engage that socialization with your leadership, pick a couple key qualities of the guidelines to focus on. Don't try to have them go attorney on it and review all 16 or 100 pages. Um, it's best to have that expert and that internal team already have it vetted well enough that you're coming with credibility and leading them through a process of acceptance and adoption, not actually uh, design and construction of the guidelines. Assuming you make it through step three, then you're on to actually putting it to the audience that makes a difference, the outside counsel. And I think there it's important to recognize that um, as much as they're there to serve you, you need to create something that's motivationally engaging and serves their benefit if you really want them to, to make good use of it. And so, again, keeping it simple and maybe the number of rules you roll out so that the rules you roll out, you can roll out well. Uh, it took us way too many years up to Guidelines 3.0 to have an online portal. And I would suggest those types of tools are good to start using earlier uh, because getting your outside counsel to adopt three rules very effectively is probably more important than trying to roll out 10 or 20 and having nobody be familiar with it. 
the final step, and this can sometimes be the hardest, is the monitoring and the enforcement. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll give you all a tip to uh, skip ahead there, and that is really look to at least in the start an outside organization that you can leverage to help you do bill review and monitoring. Uh, they can bring immediate enforcement to the guidelines rules. And um, over time, you can decide if that's something you want to bring in-house or continue to, to leave that with an outsourced partner. But but to get started quickly and have it done very proficiently and immediately begin to deliver savings, uh, and I, I mean savings in the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, uh, it can be helpful just to have that actual enforcement and not just be expecting the goodwill of your outside counsel or your busy attorneys are going to be able to enforce. That is um, a really fantastic 101. So I think anyone listening is, is going to really appreciate you sharing that process and, your, and the journey that you've taken. This is the Pricing Matters podcast. So I, I usually ask the question, you know, why does pricing matter to you? But in your case, I think it's more appropriate to ask, why does legal operations matter to you? Oh, you need to trust your original instincts and just say, why does pricing matter? Because price is a symbol of value, right? And legal ops matters because it's simply putting enough discipline around the undisciplined art of legal to put a price on it, to know what we value for real versus what's just being shaded, obscured, or done the old-fashioned way. So pricing is actually what matters to me. And uh, building the underlying infrastructure of the NASDAQ or the stock exchange so you can trust your transaction. That's what legal operations is. That's why that matters. So that I can get to the reality of the pricing that matters so that I can really uh, help flesh out one of the new frontiers of financial arbitrage, and that is legal. Uh, the sooner we can get disciplined, reliable operations, the sooner we can transact and the sooner we transact financially, the sooner we'll run all the inefficiencies out of the system. Why does that matter? Well, I mean, depending on which camp you're in, really, that might matter because it'll put more money back in the pockets of corporations and shareholders or even partners at firms. They've still yet to really realize that. But that's not why it matters, because if we figure out how to financially arbitrage legal, what happens in most perfect markets and economies is that services become less expensive and more accessible. So that the majority of those who demand and need the services are actually those least able to afford it right now. And if we can begin to improve legal operations to provide better financial transactions of legal, we can make legal more available to those who really need it in our country. Thank you. I love that answer. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate thank being Thank you for listening to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitory Legal. To find out more about our guests, please visit our podcast page at digitorylegal forward slash pricing matters. If you have any feedback or any guests that you think we should feature, please reach out to me at Aurelia at digitorylegal.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.